0: Everyone, Welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson, joined once again by our senior baseball contributor, Craig Mish. Craig, how have you been, man?
1: I'm doing well, Jordan. It's great to be with you here. Spring training, of course, underway and looking forward to getting to the ballpark. For me, that will be on Tuesday. So looking forward to seeing that game in person.
0: Excellent. Yeah, it's going to be great to have you up there. And as you said, games started up. First game was on Sunday and we're at that point where we got to see about a week's worth of practices and workouts, but we won't really start knowing in earnest or at least start getting more clarity of things, of where things stand until we start getting going with these games, start seeing how pitchers look, how hitters look. But overall, Craig, based off just the interviews and just talking with Donnie Daly and getting basically all the main guys at this point their interviews, what's been your general vibe of where the guys feel like they are as camp started up?
1: Yeah. This year light is like no other for a lot of different reasons. We are actually fortunate that we have spring training about, I mean, depending on where you live about an hour away from us, but I can tell you in talking to a lot of the reporters that cover teams across the country, less than half of them in every city are even traveling at this point to cover their teams, just because you really can't get in front of the players. It's more or less doing all the things via zoom. So That, unfortunately, makes me pretty miserable for this spring training. To me, that's what it is all about as a reporter, to be able to see players face-to-face and talk to them, get sort of insight on how they're feeling. And so that dynamic for me has certainly changed this year. But the Marlins have done a fantastic job, obviously, of providing us with with players in zoom interviews. There's no doubt about that. So we've basically spoken to probably about 80 to 90% of the players that are in camp. Uh, I I get the sense over the last week or so that what you see is what you get. I don't think that there is anything for me here to bring to the podcast. That's going to be any sort of breaking news or anything different from what's being reported. I kind of feel like that's where we're at at this point. We've seen uh, kind of the development here of a pseudo B team in game one and then the A team in game two. I hate to put it that way, but it kind of feels like the backups kind of played in, in game one with the exception of the two second baseman. And then you got more of the starters playing in the second game um, on, on Monday. So uh, we'll see if they kind of go with that rotation, Jordan. Like, uh, you know, some some guys in the lineup one day, some guys in the lineup another day. But I feel like the lineup on Monday that you got – is the majority of who you'll be seeing starting on opening day on April the 1st.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that lineup to roll it out, Corey Dickerson in left field, Starling Marte in center, Jesus Aguilar at first, Uh, Adam Duvall, originally we were told right field, but then got last second switch. He's the DH. Brian Anderson at third, Miggy at short, Eson at second, obviously Eson Jazz. We're going to have, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. He's batting, Eson's batting second, seventh at second base. Uh, Jore Alfaro catching and Lewis Brinson and right. I mean, put Duval in right field and remove the DH just because we really there, as of right now, there is no DH. That mm-hmm. really does look like the lineup for what we could see on April 1st. Obviously, Eson Jazz could get flipped in depending on who ends up outperforming the other. And just that entire Jesus Aguiar, Garrett Cooper, Adam Duval, three players, two position timeshare. But this looks like a lineup that we're probably going to see on a regular basis going into 2021. You got hit that on the, on the nail there, Craig, but to dive into second base, we know that that's really the main spot to watch. And it just feels like off the top of my head, just from the little bit we've got to see this far, you can see sort of a juxtapos- a juxtaposing nature between jazz and Eson uh, jazz, We got to talk with both of them last week. Jazz basically mentioned, yeah, what happens with second base? Whatever happens, happens. I need to focus on me. Esan, you could sense a little bit of a chip on his shoulder knowing that after losing last year first with the opt-out and then with the groin injury right after he comes back, he senses that he needs to step up or else his time could be running out here.
1: Yeah, it, it's, you know, to, to me, and I, and I asked this question the other day, to to don mattingly about the competition jordan because w- what happens every year is you hear about these spring training competitions and then you get to the end of spring training and you and you know what happens is a lot of time the manager says haha joke was on you guys it really wasn't a competition this was always the guy that we wanted and uh, you know you hear about that i i, I believe that they already know who they want starting yep. at second base. I believe that. And I believe that what they look for in spring training is a validation of the decision that they would make. Now, what's interesting is that there, there have been changes with this organization as far as thinking that somebody should be starting and then changing their mind. It happened a couple of years ago with Peter O'Brien. Peter O'Brien was in spring training and he was going to be the guy. And they went through spring training and Garrett Cooper outperformed uh, Peter O'Brien. They liked what they saw with that batch. And then they made that quick flip right before uh, opening day. In fact, they sent O'Brien down, they called up Cooper, Cooper got hurt and then O'Brien had to come back anyway. But that was a change in thinking and a very close vote in a room where they were all making that decision. And I, and, and basically, I I believe at that point, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Derek Jeter, CEO was like the equalizer in that decision. He was the one that made the final decision to say, uh, okay, well, if we're all basically divided, then, uh, we're going to go with, with, uh, with Cooper. I think that's what happened. Unfortunately, didn't work out again because of the injury. And then Peter O'Brien was, you know, not, not great, uh, here as a Marlin. So I I think the same thing is in play here. I, I think jazz Chisholm is the guy. I think that he is the one that they're looking to validate himself this spring training. And, and I believe that he'll be the starting second baseman on opening day, and I would have said this, I have been saying it, but I would have said this, Jordan, even before they hit get that home run. I mean, come on. I mean, it's, I, I believe that they would like him to run away with this job and be the second base starter and then transition over to shortstop at some point, whether it is later this year, next year, or, or the year after, I know that's going to be a hard pill for people to swallow, but the reality is Miguel Ross is a free agent after the year. So who knows what will happen there uh, in terms of ESAN. It is. It has been very peculiar. It has been. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He opted out last year. He opted back in. He uh, got hurt. That was not his fault, clearly. But again, that's part of the story. And then he goes to Winter Ball, opts out there too. Now he's back. Uh, I've I've heard you know some solid reviews with his early work. I've heard you know some of the game work not as good. I I don't know what to make of the whole situation, and I'm not going to sit here and say that Isan can't be a quality big leaguer, but he's got nothing to prove at AAA. He's destroyed AAA in his time there, Jordan. So uh, Marlins are probably going to be faced with a tough decision. If they do choose to go the way that I anticipate them going, sending him to AAA essentially to continue to do what he did would be the only option outside of moving him somewhere else. And I don't simply know what kind of value he would have to another team at this point after not really playing a lot of last year and not showing much in his, uh, in his big league debut outside of that, that big home run that he hit in his first game. So tough decision, I would say with Isan. hopefully he makes it more difficult in the next month and proves me wrong. And then I'll come back here opening day and say I was wrong. And Eson, uh beat jazz Chisholm out for the job, but I just don't think that's going to happen. Jazz Chisholm is a hand-picked player by Derek Jeter who, um, you know, they'll, they'll say it was a collaborative effort and that's fine and good, but you know, Derek Jeter was the first player he identified at the Arizona fall league when he was there and they scouted him very heavily and they traded a potential Cy Young award winner in <laughs> Zach Gallant. Yes. So uh, we've seen how they've sort of, they can, you know, they, they've, they've given an extra long development period to those players in the Yelich trade. I see no reason why this should be any different in the Zach gallon trade. So I would anticipate jazz Chisholm as the starting second baseman opening day, unless over the next 30 days, you see 25 strikeouts or something crazy where, where it's obvious to all of us that he's not ready. That would be my guess, Jordan.
0: Yep. And now the transition to another topic, I know you're going to be writing about this a little bit more in depth with our colleague Barry Jackson on, I believe that story is going to go up on Tuesday as well. Uh, James Rousen, you had some interesting, we had some interesting conversation about this a little bit on Sunday night. I just want you to dive in on sure. this situation here.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, 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 James Rousen's story is very, is very interesting, I think, because when he was brought to the Marlins a couple of years ago, he was brought in to be the uh, hitting coordinator as well as the bench coach. And from all the people that I speak to, both inside and outside the organization, I'm left with the idea that James Rowson has a big part of what has been happening on a positive level for Miami. Uh, he does not speak a lot to us, uh, so we don't really get to hear from him in particular. Maybe that's just a matter of, of not making the request. I'm not really sure, but... Uh, I have yet to have him on my other podcast on uh, on swings and misses, so uh, I can't say that 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 publicly we've heard him talk a lot. But everyone in the industry has indicated to me that James Rowson is a star, and James Rousen is very much behind a lot of the great offensive changes that have been made to vault the Marlins from where they were in 2019 to 2020 their numbers were at the bottom in 2019 they moved up to about halfway in 2020 did the same thing with the Yankees did the same thing with the Twins and lo and behold could we be on the verge of that here in South Florida with the Marlins Jordan if they move into the top 10 or something like that or even close it is his approach he is the offensive coordinator along with Eric Duncan the hitting coach and we want to make sure we mention Duncan too. Of course. <laughs> right. So so the question becomes with with Rouse interviewing for the Red Sox job and being the runner up to getting that manager job, I have been told that he is going to be a big league manager, either next year or the year after and I was told basically this ain't going to take two years for him to be a manager he's going to be one he's extremely well respected in fact the other day on the zoom call when I asked Lewis Brinson you know tell me more about who was you know responsible for your sort of breakout and development he went out of his way to mention uh, James Rouset along with Eric Duncan so Don Mattingly was the manager of the year, Jordan, last Mm -hmm. year, you know, and and he has done nothing except for do a fantastic job as skipper in Miami. And the Marlins, I think, are going to have to make a tough decision after the season because I I think that teams are going to come calling for Rousen and uh, Rousen, I think, is going to be a manager and they stand to potentially lose him as their manager of the future uh, when we really have no clarity on on what Don Mattingly's future will be as manager, because the Marlins have gone about the way of, uh, of analyzing things after each season. So uh, Don Mattingly's contract is up after 2021. I, I would assume that based on the track record of last year, and maybe even this year, if things go well, that he would be extended as manager of the year. So that's a dynamic Jordan that I'm going to be looking at in the off season, because I'm hearing just such wonderful things about him. And with no extension uh, for uh, Don Mattingly at the moment, I wonder at the end of the season, what will happen. You remember Donnie Jordan on the call recently said that uh, when I asked him about managing like Tony Larusa did in his seventies, he said that he, he's basically not slowing down and the older that he gets, the wiser that you get as manager. Yeah. So. He can't say
0: yes, but he can't really say no either at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. So so the Marlins so the Marlins are, are uh, that's another decision that's going to have to be made in the off season. It, it seems like probably right now it kind of is an easy one because with Don mattingly doing the job that he did last year and and if they have a good year this year I, I can't see them not extending him out for another two years. So uh, that would mean uh, Rousen probably will be a manager somewhere else and, and Jordan by the way, there's a lot of really good clubs with a lot of pressure going into 2021. And if they don't win, imagine the opportunity that Rousen would have to manage one of the better clubs in the big leagues. I would guess, I mean, he he did interview for the Red Sox. I would guess that he would jump on that too. So something to monitor as the season goes on.
0: Yeah, definitely. And mentioning with talking to Rousen, we got him once during summer camp last year during 2.0. We got a bunch of the assistants throughout that time. I had the chance to talk with him before everything shut down, which... Speaking of that, it's March now. I can't believe it's basically been a year since yeah. that happened. Yeah. But before, when they had one of their split squad days and they had the main group in Jupiter where Donnie managed and then Rousin started as the manager at the West Palm Beach Ballpark, I made the trip down to West Palm to talk with Rousin just get his approach, figure out his mentality of what it was like with that quote-unquote offensive coordinator role and – In the few minutes that we got to talk off to the side, you you could tell the insight that he's willing to bring and he's willing to share. And you can see you were able to see some manager type qualities in him just from very small, small, quick interactions with him. So the fact that there are there is the chance as soon as early as the 2022 season would surprise me very, very little on the rousing front.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is that with interviewing players, I should probably quantify this is and and coaches is that it goes like this for every sport, Jordan, and you cover them all, you cover hockey too. It's like, you don't, you don't sit there and interview the assistants all that much. It's usually the head guy, you know, it would be like a special request, but uh, you know, we have talked to Mel Stoudemire quite a bit. So that's, you know, one example of the pitching coach there. And maybe it's just a blind spot for me to not, to, you know, not get a better understanding on, on exactly the approach and what is going on, or or maybe it's a secret and maybe the Marlins basically have this secret weapon where they have all these new things that they're trying to do. And they don't want to let the league know. And that would be understandable as well, but I can only tell you what I've been told, Uh, have asked around quite a bit on this. And there does seem to be some momentum building for uh, Miami, having a potential, uh, a coach that is, is going to be a star manager in the big leagues. And, uh, that is, and that is really something that's going to be an interesting dynamic moving forward for me.
0: Let's get two more quick topics in here from spring training and things that we're going to be monitoring throughout the first one. Like I mentioned toward the top, when we were talking about the lineup that Aguilar Cooper Duvall first base right field timeshare, you've got three guys, three power hitters. And unless there's an 11th hour agreement for a DH, you have two spots for the guys. Primarily just your read on the situation. And do you think this is actually going to be able to work with all three of these guys, basically with two spots there?
1: Yeah, it's fair to say these things work themselves out, but we don't know the answer to that. I still do not believe there is a designated hitter coming to the national league. So I do think it would be somewhat of a rotation. Cooper will not play left, but he certainly could play right field and play a little bit of first base. The, the one thing that I would say is that can this work? Of course it is, and you have veterans like Duvall and Dickerson who have been in timeshares before, and and you know Aguilar who two years ago was basically almost out of baseball, and the Marlins you know brought him back in, and, and you'd look at the success that he had last year. Garrett Cooper, same thing. He's an older player for the success that he's had at this point. He's thirty years old, and, and you know still. You're kind of making his way in the big leagues too. But, but I, w- I would say that while they can make it work, the question that I would have is that should they be trying to do this? Because I think inevitably when you have players of this kind of quality, and they're not superstars, Jordan, by any means, but the Tampa Bay Rays employ these platoons like no other teams in the big leagues, but they have the DH there. And and the other players that they have, they have position versatility. They play different positions. Yandi Diaz and Brandon Lau. Like, like they go around the diamond. They can play different places. Aguilar and Cooper cannot. Like, like they're they're trying to fit this square peg in a round hole with Cooper in the outfield. I, I don't think that they should be doing it at all. I think it should be first base or nothing. And uh, just to keep them on the field if they possibly can. So for me, I would wonder... You know, how I would feel, Jordan, opening day, right? Like opening day, April the 1st. It's a big season. Fans are back in the stands. One of those guys is on the bench. As a human, how do you feel about that? You probably don't feel very good. And then let's say April the 2nd, next day, one of the the other guys is now on the bench. So is it defined? Is it going to be a, this guy's going to play this position this day? I don't think that you can do that. In, in baseball. So I'm more of the mindset that because of the lack of position versatility with Cooper and Aguilar, I still believe they should try to move one to keep everybody happy. And, and, and that would really, that, that's kind of the way that I would go about it, because I would wonder, you get a month into the season and one guy's playing and one guy is not, and, and how are they even supposed, like playing every day is always the secret sauce to when players say, why did you turn the corner? Well, it was a matter of playing every day and seeing every day at bats and seeing the pitchers, <laughs> right? And so in this case, that's not going to happen. So we have seen, as you mentioned, and I think it's a really good point, the 11th hour deals in in baseball. Uh, I remember uh, Kevin Pillar was just let go by the Blue Jays a couple of years ago on the eve of opening day. Craig Kimbrell was traded right before opening day started, I think on the eve of from the Braves to the Padres, so I would not rule that out once it just comes down to the end to say, hey, let's get one of these guys somewhere else and to make matters a little bit more complex is that if your real goal is to have Lewin Diaz as your first baseman of the future, which I've heard so many times, I'm sure yep, you have too. I have too. What are we doing here? You know, what, what, what are we doing with three first basemen? essentially this summer, if you, if you really want to call Lewin Diaz up and you really want him as your opening day starter in 2022. And I do think they do, you don't have enough time. You don't have enough plate appearances for, for all of these players. So uh, spring you do regular season. You don't, I still think they should move one of them. I understand that they feel that there's enough at bats for all. They probably are right in that sense where they can get their plate appearances in, but is that the right way to go about doing this? I'm not so sure.
0: And then secondly, that fifth rotation spot, since we know barring everyone staying healthy, heading into April 1st, Sandy, Pablo, Eliezer, 6-0 are going to be the main four. Then you have that fifth spot where it feels like contenders are slowly starting to trickle away. Edward Cabrera obviously has the nerve inflammation in in his bicep and his throwing arm. Trevor Rogers just threw his first side session this week, which means his progression is going to be slowed down a little bit. You've got Niter, you've got Braxton Garrett, you've got Dan Castano as the others from that group. Where do you, where does your head sit, and where you think the decision is going to come down to as you go down to for at the very least the start of the year? Because at some point we're going to see all of them at some point between injuries and guys resting and knowing they're probably going to be inning limits on some guys. Just how do you take shape of where this final spot's going?
1: Yeah. The the one thing that everybody pretty much knows from me is that when I don't have an answer to something, I'll usually say, I don't know. And that's what I'm going to say here. I I really, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I I, I, honestly, the Trevor Rogers thing with him starting late Jordan, as we talked about before the podcast, that slipped right by me. I was, I was not aware that, that he was late. That's a bad job by me, not digging in a little bit deeper. I thought it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to be the fifth starter with him getting a later start. It definitely does push back that potential timeline And on top of that, he is not somebody that I don't think is ready to throw 200 innings in a big league season. But that being said, he would be the guy for me. The reports I've gotten on him over the last year have been fantastic. And I would hope that he could earn his way into that fifth starter spot. But if, if he slowed down, then maybe that's not an option. I'm I'm also with off days at the beginning of the season, you may not even need a fifth starter until the second or third week. So that could be a benefit to him as well. And, and this is nothing against Braxton Garrett or Nick Neidert. It's just that Rogers' stuff from the reports at the alternate site and the reports during the 60-gamer last year were really off the charts. So I, I do think not only is he the fifth starter, I think he's their fourth best starter who they have right now. Uh, with Sixto being the third, I would put Eliezer uh, at the back end uh, in the, in the fifth spot. But again – um, you know, not everybody's four and five in the big leagues are great. Look around the league and and the Marlins starting five are going to be better than probably 20 teams in the big leagues right now. This is the strength and a big strength of their team. I, I do a show every single day and I go through the rotations. Each day we do a different team. It is shocking to me the lack of depth that these teams have. Yeah, you could go through the league. You may be able to find a few teams that have better ones and twos than Miami. You could easily. You, you can't go that far down though. Once you get to three, four and five, you you'll struggle and say, wow, that's who they're really throwing out there. And then that's definitely the case for at least two thirds of the league. Miami doesn't have that problem. They have legitimate guys, six, seven and eight that they can start. So long-winded answer there. I don't know the answer who the fifth guy is going to be. I could tell you that I would, I think it should be Trevor Rogers, but given the, the delayed start, to his spring training and now you as you just mentioned throwing a side session i would guess that he's probably still at least a week away from making a spring training start i would guess that by the end of the week you're gonna know who the fourth and fifth start are gonna be jordan because they're lined up right now sandy's pitching game one pablo's pitching game two did donnie say who's pitching game three or he did
0: not mention who's pitching on wednesday yeah we're gonna get that i'm um, hoping i get we'll that get, from yeah, him maybe either in we'll the end of sure monday or today. tuesday morning
1: yeah, yeah gotta get, 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 get that real soon so whoever is pitching the three four and five jordan make no mistake about it that's yeah. the starting five yeah <laughs> but the Marlins going into the season you don't have to be a scientist to yeah. understand that so the one thing that they could do by the way is whoever let, let's say nider is the fifth guy let's just use him as an example because it's it would seem as though there's probably the best chance that he would be the guy to get that shot what they could do and i've seen them do this in the past is niter could start game the, uh, make make his start this week as the fifth starter and then when trevor rogers is ready to take the mound next week let's say hypothetically he could back up niter in that start so you know uh, niter could start the first four innings Trevor Rogers could pitch the next two innings and they could have them lined up just in case that goes into the regular season. So that'd be guessing by me, but yeah. I, I don't have a great read on it now, just to be honest. Yeah,
0: no. And one thing also the monitor is remember with spring games this year, it's they're playing four games and they're off a fifth day. So if right. they want, if they wanted to figure out stuff with the Garrett's the Nighters, the Trevor's, they always have, they have ways to work around off days to give them the extra days of rest and figure out how to weave them into the rotation or into the pitching order on the given days. So it's going to be interesting to monitor that with them not playing every single day, like they do in the normal spring.
1: Yeah. And and Garrett too, who was their first round pick a few years ago, I know that maybe he's fallen back a couple of players as far as guys who have moved ahead of Sixto Sanchez moved ahead of him in terms of prospect Edward Cabrera has moved ahead of him in terms of prospect. Um, You know, he, he would be in line for sure to come up and start again and make big league starts. Um, But for me, and this is the different dynamic of of the way that baseball works, is that I would be very careful before calling uh, him up to the big leagues, because uh, while I do think he's got a chance to succeed as a three at the big league level, maybe, I would hate for him to come up and lose value because to me, that's the one, listen, Miami has a ton of players that they drafted at pitcher over the last couple of years. Some of which I think could end up being in this rotation sooner than later. So with Garrett, he's a nice player that other teams probably would view and say, hey, like we could, like Braxton Garrett could be the ace or the second best pitcher on the Pirates right now. That's no disrespect to them, but it's just true. He could be the third best pitcher on the Red Sox. Take a look at their rotation right now. So you call him up, he gets beat up a little bit, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, like, I don't know. Did, did, did we make the right call there? That happens a lot in baseball. Sometimes you don't bring the guy up because you want him to just continue to shine at the minor league level, which I think he's going to – I would guess he'll probably start opening day in AAA, and he'll probably be a stud, I, w- I would guess too in uh in Jacksonville so just something to consider too Miami has such a deep reservoir of pitchers at the minor league level they're going to have to trade some of them to get some offense because with Dickerson and Marte and Miguel Rojas and even potentially Adam Duvall Jordan, you tell me who's in the starting lineup opening day in 2022. I got no idea. They're all free agents. You think yep. they're bringing some all one back? I have no clue. Uh, they're going to either need to make trades or go out and spend a lot of money and sign some guys. The alternative to that is they have this currency of pitching. They could trade a player or two to get a player back.
0: Definitely. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. And it's actually it's interesting to be able to think about it now, again, compared to where they were three, four years ago to the point where it was okay, we have our big league team and that's it. To now where you have the potential to say to surplus at certain positions, be it, be it at pitching primarily, but I think it's 10 of their top 30 for their prospects or outfielders. So they have surpluses at certain positions where they could potentially tap into that to start building up again, sort of like what they did last year, trading Caleb Smith and Humberto Mejia to get Marte exactly. for a year.
1: Yeah. And, and you think about that, like what I just talked about with keeping Garrett in the minors worked the other way with Humberto Mejia. He came yeah. up, looked real good. Arizona said, wow, this guy can already pitch in the big leagues. You kidding me? Cool. We'll take him along with Caleb and give you Starling Marte. Had Humberto Mejia not been called up and not fared well, at least early on when he made his debut with the Marlins, maybe the Marlins don't have that opportunity. So that's playing the other side of this coin saying maybe Garrett comes up and and shines. Maybe he should be in the rotation as the fifth starter. He pitches great. And then eventually they move him. And I, and I know it, these are hard conversations to have, but this is the, the way that you have to think as a, as an organization. If you just think at tw- look at 2021 and think about nothing else as the general manager or people involved in the organization, you're failing at your job. You always have to think for the future. And uh, unless Miami is going to go out there in the off season and sign a guy like Springer, uh, it's it's going to come via trade, just like all these bullpen arms. Jordan came via trade.
0: Yep, yep, definitely. And then to wrap up our show today, uh, JJ Blade, the Marlins' 2019 first round pick, he we got to speak with him uh, Monday morning after he hit a home run in his first spring game this year, and just the reviews around him, just all around, have been more or less on the positive side to the point where. There is talk about potentially seeing him by the end of 21, obviously 2022 at the latest, it feels like. Uh, wanted to get, first off, Craig, I wanted to get your thoughts on him overall. And then I was just going to play his his audio from his interview here today to wrap up the show.
1: Okay, yeah, no, I, I think I think he's going to be a very good big league player. And, and I think that the estimation of 2021 is definitely fair. If you said to me, okay, Craig, what what would happen where we would see a scenario where J.J. Blade would be in the big leagues? A number of things. Number one, he's got a rake in double A. I guess he, I would, I'm would. i speculating here that he'll start in Jacksonville. Yeah. So he's got a rake in Jacksonville, number one. Number two, uh, for him to come up, something at would be, have to adverse in the first few months of the season would have to happen to Miami. Dickerson would have to uh, – you don't ever want to throw that on someone, but something would have to happen to Dickerson or Duvall or you know, a number of players would have – would have to be out for whatever reason. And then Blade would come up there. Uh, the third would be that potentially, let's say things don't go as well as Miami wants them to. And at the trade deadline, they move players. August 1st, JJ Bleday comes up and plays the rest of the year. So uh, there's no scenario that I just painted there that ends up good for the Marlins that puts Blade in the big leagues before July the best case scenario would be for Miami is that all these guys stay healthy and they don't need him to play and he doesn't come up until maybe the last two weeks of the season to help them and then they he helps them in the postseason too. Like that that's the scenario that they want to happen. What I just painted is the scenario that they don't want to happen, but that's the most realistic excess playing time I would say for him. But I would speculate that he is their opening day right fielder in 2022 barring something unforeseen. I don't think that you can say that he's going to be a superstar because we just don't know. And we're in a very odd time in baseball where we have no minor league data to back up anything from 2020, but I think he was the right choice at the time. He seems to be do everything the right way. And I'm a fan. And and I think that the Marlins got, got a very good player here. I, I can't sit here and say a kid is going to be a superstar when I haven't seen him play uh, except for any like alternate camp and, and, uh, and in college, he was a star too, but uh, t- TBD on that. But my guess is opening day 2022, had they not signed duval Jordan, I think that this would have been more, this could have been a summer, this could have been a summer deal for sure. Mm-hmm. They could, have, but you know, now that Duval is there uh, yeah. with, you know, Cooper playing too, I, I think we're looking at August 1st in the earliest, unless something adverse happens. But more realistically, I think it's a September thing.
0: Definitely. And with that said, here's J.J. Bladet, and that will wrap up our show today. Thanks so much, as always, for listening to Fish Bites, and we will be back again next week. Thanks so much, everyone.
1: Something Natalie mentioned was, I guess, how you don't let
2: our bats, I guess, affect the next one. And you said, I guess, with the first one, a ball ran in on you, you ground out. Uh, The next one, you take a couple sliders, uh, and then you send a ball out. Uh, for a home run. What is your approach? Like, how cerebral are you, I guess, when it comes to hitting? You know, how much do you think about at-bats?
1: How much of a mindset do you have?
2: Yeah, I'd say, uh, well, the main thing is just, you know, having the confidence and and the trust in your own ability to to go out and perform, you know, each at-bat at the plate and each opportunity you're given. And then the next is just trusting that approach and and taking that, you know, pitch by pitch. So, yeah, I kind of gave up that first at-bat uh, the ball was foul, kinda, and then I must have rolled over the bag. So I think I was walking back to the dugout um, when they called me, or I was walking back to the plate when they called me out. So it was, it was a bit disappointing, but thankfully, that next day B, uh, uh, I, I got a, I got a fastball to hit and uh, put a good swing on it.
1: When, when you say fastball to get you know get a hit on, what um I guess what are you looking for when you want to I guess barrel the ball or just what's your Goal,
2: I guess, every at bat? My, my goal is just to always be on time for a fastball, you know, regardless of who it is, and, th- and then adjust the off speed. And I think that's the best way to really put it, and that's that's how I've always been. And, and as soon as I get off that, you know, you're just, for me, I'm not as good as a hitter because uh, you're, you're too um, split minded, and that's when you kind of, you're more likely to make mistakes. Okay, let's go to Jordan with the Herald.
0: Thanks, Jason. Hey, JJ. Great to see you again, man. Uh, Just curious about how you approached last year. Obviously it was supposed to be your first full year of minor league baseball. Then the pandemic happened. You're at the alternate training site. What adjustments did you have to make during, first off, during the layoff between spring training and then how much did you take advantage of the alternate site in lieu of the fact that you didn't have the 120 or so minor league games you were hoping to get last season?
2: Yeah, so you know, the, when, once we got sent home for quarantine, I think the main thing was, you know, trying to stay in the best shape as you can, because you never know when we're going to get that call, and then spend time with family. I think that was, a, I think that was the thing a lot of people, uh, you know, stepped back and, and, and took made the most of is, is spending time with friends and family, and really uh, really taking care of that, because at the end of the day, that's probably the most important thing, is your, is your family taking care of them, making sure they're safe in, in times of a global crisis, but... Once I got down to alternate camp, it was it was the same mindset. It, it was be aggressive and make the most of the opp- opportunity because a lot of guys in the minors aren't getting this opportunity. And, and, and if you're, you know, showing up unprepared each day, then then you're you're, you're getting worse. I mean, you're not helping yourself out. So it was great seeing guys like Sixto, Sandy, um, you know, back when we had Caleb Smith, uh, Urania. We had a bunch of guys that were able to get good quality at bats off and, and really grow as individuals. And you know, we had our we had our just like a normal season. You'd have your good weeks and your bad weeks um, at the at the camp. So it, it was, yeah. You, you had to simulate it as best of the season as you can, and that was really the only mindset you could really you, you could really put on it. Hi, right, let's go to Joe for sorrow. Uh, good morning, JJ. Hope you're well. Um, can you just talk about your when you got your, your foundation to be? You're kind of a, a hit first and, and with power. You know, I'm sure you take a lot of pride in that, that you're not an all or nothing type of guy or whatever. With, how long have you had that and, and how important is that for you that the hit aspect is, is really there for you and then your power you know, will, will come with? Yeah, I think uh, it started at a young age. I mean, I, I hate striking out. I mean, I hate I hate giving up at bats like that, not putting the ball in play, not having a team at bat, and and at least creating a chance for the defense to make a mistake. So I think that started at a young age, and um, you know, just just really uh, <laughs> emphasizing accuracy over power. I think when you sacrifice accuracy for power, uh, for me personally, I get in a I get in a tough position where, like you're saying, you're just kind of waste and stuff and, and things start things don't go your way, but as if you're aggressive and you and you keep that accuracy first over power, you're eventually just gonna keep getting better as a hitter and, and your walks are gonna go up and your quality of at bats are just gonna um, turn turn completely around and just give you that give you the trust in your ability to, to keep improving, and keep growing. Did you have a, a favorite player or a mentor that, that kind of that you looked up to to kind of emulate? Um, I don't know about Emulate, but I I loved watching Ken Griffey Jr. growing up. I loved watching Barry Bonds and uh Robinson Cano. I mean they're all lefties. Uh Barry had just a phenomenal mindset at the plate and was just so unbeatable, and then Cano just had a sweet swing, and then uh Griffey was just the kid, man. He did everything natural. Alright, let's hit up uh, Daniel Rodriguez.
1: Hey Jason, this is Daniel Rodriguez with Fish Stripes. I wanted to ask you know, after the game, what was the reaction maybe on your phone? How, was it blowing up at all? How, how was it maybe friends or family?
2: Yeah, yeah I got a lot of uh, a lot of shout outs on on you know social media and a lot of text messages was uh, which was great. so uh, yeah got get them out. And what do you think um, is your goal for the rest of spring training? like what do you hope to get out of learning from from all the veterans and by the end of spring training comes? Just get better every day. I mean, keeping it consistent, keeping the body as fresh as you can. And um, again, I mean, getting ready for the main season. I think that's what really counts, and that's what you really got to be prepared for. Obviously, take take advantage of this opportunity when you get it. And uh, but but more importantly, be be ready to go when uh, when you have that purpose official game. Thank you, JJ. Yep. Ethan, go ahead. Thanks, Jason. Hey, JJ. Ethan Bedauskie, also with the Stripes. Um, how
1: much did the SEC prepare you for the level that you're playing at right now? Would you say, and especially facing my Florida Gators? I, I
2: think it prepared it or it prepared me uh, very well. Obviously, the level of talent here um, when I got to high A was still probably a little bit better than the SEC, just in terms of you know arms and, and velocity. You're seeing basically a Friday guy. Every day. I mean, that's the only way you can really put it. So it's definitely uh, you definitely have to have that routine down in order to go about your business and, and get ready for that for that start time. So the SEC has been uh, tremendous. And then the other thing I wanted to
1: ask you, you know, some people think you've got a shot at, you know, cracking the bigs this year. So what do you think is the one thing you have that has to go right for you to see uh, some time in the bigs in terms of like an adjustment or just something that you worked on over the offseason season that uh, would would show in in the minor league season?
2: Yeah, I, I think just making my timing consistent. I mean, literally, you go out and perform, you do well. I mean, good things are gonna happen. So I'd say keeping my timing on at the plate and. and and, again, making contact over power every game of the week. So I think that's the main goal is just besides don't give away at-bats and stay stick to your approach. A couple more. Alex, go ahead. Thanks, Jason. Hey, JJ, good to see you. Um, my question is, uh, you know, with you and, and all of these other outfield guys that are in camp, guys like Burdick, Scott Meisner, and others, uh, obviously there's a lot of attention um, not only in the organization but around baseball on you guys. So, the question is now that games have started, how do you guys kind of put that past yourselves, uh, not really focus on that, and, and the mindset of just going out there and playing? Um, what's that like? Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it's a healthy competition. You know, it's uh, you know we're, we're, we all obviously all want to do well individually, but at the same time uh, you got to get ready for the season and you got to go out and perform for the organization. So it's healthy competition, and we all you know enjoy being around one another and uh, learning from each other. So I think it's uh, it's a great atmosphere, and it's only going to make this organization better. One more thing, did you give any, did you give Bob uh, Burdick any jabs about that bandy WSU series here the other the other week? We kind of did, we kind of did, but uh, yeah, thankfully our fishing was on. We kind of kind of tore him up. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, let's
1: go back to Christina.
2: Yeah, um, somewhat twofold. I guess the first thing is uh,
1: last spring was your first, you know, taste of big league camp. What was the biggest thing you learned, I guess, before everything shut down? And then also, is there anything, a different view of your second base weight camp? You know, or is it all happening? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I guess I'm not the new kid on the block anymore. I think last year, uh, you know, it was you're, you're nervous, you're excited, you got all these emotions going on because, you know, you've never been in a situation like this. I think this year I'm enjoying it a lot more. I'm a lot more comfortable. I kind of know, like, not to rush myself on my day to days and just like, hey, enjoy getting what you need in and then getting out. You know, just, you know, don't be stupid. Uh, I mean, like, again, you got to be ready for that 162 game season. So whatever you can do to put yourself in that position is great. And uh, what was the second half of that? Oh, yeah. Uh, the mindset of just coming in here and being aggressive with the, with the Marlins. I mean, we, we did that last year and we're doing that again this year. I think uh, Miguel Rojas and, and a lot of our leaders within this uh, big league, uh, the big league group, is uh, really kind of trickling down onto us, and we really take that and we really like that leadership, and are just kind of trying to run with it.
1: Okay, uh, Ethan got one last hand in there, so go ahead. Ethan. Yeah, last really quick, you talked about kind of the mindset of the team, but, you know, there was a lot of energy yesterday um, in the first spring training game, and I think that can be expected, you know, especially Jazz leading off and then you providing some pop and Lou. How do you guys keep that up throughout the spring leading into the season? Because, it, you know, the spring can seem kind of long sometimes.
2: Yeah, uh, again, taking taking it day-to-day and, um, you know, not uh, just, just feeling you don't have to do it. Do it on your own. You know. I mean, just try. Try to transfer it off to the next guy, and and uh, you know, keep the morale eye. You don't have to win. You know, every game here in spring training. I remember Donnie touching on that, but obviously, give your best effort. I think that's the best way you could do it. Is, is give your best effort. Don't be afraid to fail. And um, if you're, you know if you're gonna do something, go out and do it aggressively.